Hello, my name is Ilya, and this is my first attempt at this, so please do bear with me. Um, okay, I'll quickly introduce myself, even though a lot of you know me. If you're listening to this somewhere in and around the month of early August, chances are you saw that this podcast exists through my Instagram. Thanks for stopping by. Good to see you. But for those of you who may not know me that well, my name is Ilya, and I can talk about movies until I'm blue in the face. I'm a massive, massive film enthusiast. I can't put a number on how many movies I've watched. It's probably close to the quadruple digits at this point, and that stretches across multiple genres. My niche, obviously, well, not obviously, because you guys probably don't know, but my niche is horror and thriller. Uh, but I have dabbled in rom-coms, comedies, action movies, foreign movies, short films, and even animated projects. You name it. I just love to be entertained. And I think that the purpose of this podcast is to be entertained by hopefully entertaining you. It's like a give and take sort of situation we've got going on here. Uh, what I'm hoping is that for the first maybe episode or two, I'd like to talk about movies that most people my age may not have seen. But these movies have had a huge impact on me. And they consistently make the, you know, the top 10 lists across critics, so they're, they're obviously pretty good. I want to delve into them. The production, the acting, the history of the film, the meaning behind the film. And a lot of podcasts just do that. But I think... Mine will be different. Well, first of all, I'm something of a familiar face. So that's already <laughs> that's already a unique point. You know, a lot of you might listen to celebrity podcasts and all that. That's fine. You're never going to be on their podcast. You're never going to really um, build a rapport with them, I guess. But what's going to be different about my podcast is that even if you only know me in passing, there's a strange feeling that you get when somebody that you've been in contact with is suddenly speaking into your ear while you're driving or, I don't know, working out, eating. You know, you all have your own life. You know, maybe you're going to the bathroom right now and you're listening. <laughs> and that's a bit, that's weird to tell you. Somebody cut his mic, he's getting weird. Anyway, secondly, what will be unique about this podcast, and I have a lot of ideas with this that I might get into later on, is the interactive basis. I would love if you give feedback on the coming episodes, maybe suggest a movie for me to watch and react to and discuss, maybe even point out something that I missed. Ah, see, you can't do that with Joe Rogan. You can't jo <laughs> you can't DM uh, Jordan Peterson and ask, oh, hey, did you see this movie? It was a, it was a really good movie. I, I really liked it. You can't do that, but you can with me, and I'd love it if you did through Instagram, um, because, you know, social media is, I, you know, I'm not big into it. Instagram is really the only thing that's going to be associated for now, for now, for now. Um, I have a lot of ideas. Can't really go into it right now. I'm just trying to focus on getting the episodes out, um, which has been very difficult. And, you know, literally everybody has a podcast today. It's getting to the point where people I know have their own podcast. It's like, this is right. Hear me out. This is where the world is going. In 10 years, if you don't have a podcast, you'll probably be on the outskirts of town. You'll be living under a bridge. People oh, that, that guy over there doesn't have a podcast. Just keep away from him. So catch me riding the wave of this trend for as long as possible. Um, I might hate this. <laughs> I'm making this episode. I may come to hate this. I may not enjoy this. But hey, um, let's just keep an open mind. Um, 
what else did I want to talk about? We're nearly, this is a long ass intro, but anyway. Oh yeah, before I forget, I'm going to be talking about movies that you probably haven't seen or that you probably aren't even aware of. You might know that some of these exist. Either way, this is for people who love movies or for people who don't have time to watch movies. A lot of you guys, I know this, a lot of you watch uh, series and reality TV shows, quick 20 minute bursts. You know, because you don't have the time to sit down and watch a two-hour movie or a three-hour movie, depending. So think of me as your movie wingman, right? I'm just going to go in there, give you all the in-depth knowledge that you need about a certain movie, and you can go off and you can talk to your friends about this movie. Be like, oh yeah, I definitely watched it. Wink, wink. <laughs> anyway, hopefully we won't have many technical difficulties. I'm very excited to open this episode with the theme song that I've chosen for free. <laughs> I, I am musical myself. I could have made one, but no, it was just too much work. So let's just ease into this and see how it goes. It's the Movie Millennium Podcast. <laughs> wow, what lovely music. I can't hear it, but you can. I edited it in. Um, yeah, so I was really struggling with what movie I'd open up with. And I suppose I would you know, I figured I would open with my favorite movie of all time. It's called Raging Bull. Now, I'm going to say this now, there will be spoilers, because if I'm going to be talking about this movie in depth, I am going to have to divulge a lot of the plot. But, you know, chances are you probably won't watch this. You'll just use my knowledge and my analyses, and you'll be fine with that. Um, but anyway, the fact that this is my favorite movie is really saying something. Because, you know, with the sheer volume of films I had to choose from, this, to me, really stands out. I felt this movie was actually really relevant to us all these days because of how limited our lives have become under restrictions, how tight-knit our social circles have become. Um, but anyway, I'll get into it. So this movie was directed by Martin Scorsese, and it stars a very, very young Robert De Niro. And he's joined by Joe Pesci. You might remember him from Home Alone, like the very <laughs> the very short robber, and Kathy Moriarty. Kathy isn't in a lot of things. Um, this movie was released in 1980, so it's an old it's, it's an old fucking movie. It was adapted from the autobiography of a very famous 30s and 40s boxer called Jake the Raging Bull Lamata, a real person. He was a boxer during a time in the US where poor people, I guess, struggled to survive. Growing up in the Bronx, the poorest borough in New York, people had very few options. Um, among Italian immigrants and Italian Americans, one way out of poverty was boxing, and Jake LaMotta did just that. His character is played by Robert De Niro, and the movie is unique in that it's not a boxing movie. Okay, it's not like Rocky or Creed in that the boxing makes up the driving force of the movie. The, I think the best way to describe it is it's about a very mentally ill, toxic man, a controlling husband, and an absent father who destroys his own life over time with his own poor decisions. Now, from the, from the beginning of the movie, which is filmed in black and white by Scorsese, they had color during the 1980s, just, you know, getting that across. But he decided to film it in black and white to reflect the time that the movie was made, or where the movie's set, and also to highlight 
you know, the colorless lifestyle that Jake eventually leads. Ah, now you're intrigued. The, the movie opens with Lamata, center ring, all hooded up, about to fight, psyching himself up. The lights are all on him. He's the main character. You know, he's sort of hitting the air and methodically pacing around the ring like a machine. It's, it's almost kind of like a dance. Um, and just on the topic of dance, the score in this movie really relies on orchestra. So there's a lot of orchestral music in this. It's, it feels like an epic most of the time. Um, so with the dark shadows and the piercing lights and the smoke that Scorsese uses to create mystery and a heavy claustrophobic feeling, La Mata really does look like a bull revving itself up for a charge. From the get-go, La Mata comes across as like this rough-and-tumble bruiser, a little bit quiet and sort of lumbering, slow. You can imagine a bull personified, right? Now, his brother, who's played by Joe Pesci, acts as his coach, his mentor, his corner man, his hype man, his manager. He does most of the talking, plans most of his fights, and from here we see actually how close they are. We, we think, oh, this is like a really close brother and brother relationship. But as we get to see later, this closeness is actually more of a codependent relationship where Lamata relies on his brother to help him direct his life and his career. And his brother relies on him for money and status and all the pleasures of life that we all want. Now, Jake himself as a boxer is a brutal lumbering guy who quickly becomes known for how violent he is, how relentless he is. And you have to remember that back in these days, they didn't know about MS, they didn't know about Parkinson's, they didn't know about Alzheimer's, they knew very little about head trauma. The referee at the time was just there to stop someone from getting killed. Nowadays, there's a lot of health regulations, but back then, you know, I'm giving you a little bit of history here. Back then, the referee was more or less there to make sure nobody died, which is a really, really poor standard to have in sport. Um, but anyway, Jake quickly builds a reputation for how relentless he is. He's likened to, I guess you could say like an indestructible machine who, you know, no matter how many times you hit him, he's never going to go down. He's always going to keep going. Um, he's, his record is, is pretty impressive, considering, you know, there were a lot of greats from that time. Uh, he prides himself. This is his image of um, a tough underdog who's, who's never been knocked off his feet, despite going against incredibly ferocious opponents. You know, that's very important to him. And we see that he's very much a negative stereotype of what a man is today, but also an accurate representation of what I feel many men were like during those days as well. Sort of no, no matter how tough it gets, let's keep going. And, you know, it's all about the goal and that sort of thing. You know what I'm talking about. Um, his, his personal life in the beginning of the movie centers around training. As a boxer's life, you know, that's what boxers do. They train, they fight, and that's a big portion of their life. It's their career. Um, but that begins to change with Jake one day as he's you know hitting the town with his brother and he sees this girl swimming at a local public pool 
Um, now this girl by the name of Vicky is played by Carrie, um, sorry, Kathy Moriarty. Scorsese portrays her using very lilting music, you know, string ensembles, natural lighting, slow motion, um, sort of portray, to portray her as this sort of like angelic beauty. And she captivates Jake instantly. You know, he obsesses over her, um, even though she's only 15. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I was very uncomfortable during that part of the movie. Um, but maybe back then, dating 15-year-old girls was kind of normal. Uh, well, anyway, he obsesses over her. Um, she was like a religious deity encounter to him. And it's very easy for me to forget that Jake was already married when he met Vicky. But his wife just doesn't make much of an impact on the film, or on us, or on me, simply because the film is told completely through the eyes of Jake. So every zoom, every close-up, every shot of focus is what Jake focuses on. So our impressions of the world around Jake are his impressions. So for example, if his wife is not important to us and we forget she's there, it's only because he forgets. He pursues Vicky, this young girl who's only 15. Um, even though she's very young, she's very street smart. And, you know, growing up in the Bronx, she's obviously had to learn to fend for herself because she sees Jake as sort of like this big shot who's going to make a lot of money, who's going to be successful. And if she tags along with him, she's going to get out of get out of poverty. But she has a great effect on him. He goes on to beat Sugar Ray Robinson, one of the greatest boxers of all time, in a very exciting, dramatic boxing match. Uh, now, the matches themselves, if you do happen to watch this movie, the boxing matches and all the fight scenes really are laughably unrealistic. If anything, they're like storytelling dances or performance art. You know, there are a lot of camera switches where we focus from one character to the other in split seconds just to highlight the frenzy that's going on in the ring. Um, not to mention the violence in this movie. Good God, like the sheer gore that is being produced in these scenes are, I'm guessing, pretty anatomically impossible. There are scenes where like people get hit and suddenly their face almost explodes into like five different fountains of blood. It's like squeezing a sponge. But anyway, <laughs> um, because of mafia involvement and fixing fights and all this shady business, Jake misses his chance to gain the world title. And at this point, he begins to get very, very controlling over Vicky, his new wife. He always wants to know where she's been, how long she was shopping, who did you speak with, where did you go? because he's convinced that she's going to cheat on him and abandon him. Even something as small as her, you know, she was, there was a scene where she was psyching Jake up to go fight. He was, you know, pretty down, very despondent. We actually see that Jake struggles to keep up this macho man appearance, that he actually has days where he's just very depressed, very down, very demotivated. But there was a scene where she's psyching him up to fight another contender, saying something like, um, oh, most people only think he's a pretty boy anyways, you'll beat him, no problem. That makes him extremely paranoid, um, <laughs> because he thinks that, oh, my wife is going to leave me for this pretty boy, she said it, not me. 
so he later goes on to brutalize this fighter in a few rounds and nearly kill him and from here on out the music just runs silent as Jake begins to start uh, exhibiting more and more controlling behaviors around Vicky. It gets to the point where he even accuses his own brother of sleeping with her behind his back and he comes up with all these insane conspiracies about the two of them and I noticed that with all the long drawn out scenes all these interrogations portrayed phenomenally by De Niro and Pesci with no music it's very very tense we begin to feel probably about as nervous as Jake's opponents must have been before he went on to butcher them he is a very very scary intimidating toxic man it um it comes to an eruption when Jake keeps hounding Vicky and repeatedly demanding her to tell him she cheated on him with his brother and in a fit of frustration she just screams that not only did she fuck his brother she fucked the mailman the paper boy all the neighbors everybody in the city which is obviously a lie to get Jake to realize how crazy he's becoming but he's so far gone that he believes her he believes that beats her up and then beats his brother up and actually that that led to the two of them losing their relationship completely now Scorsese actually terms this the Madonna whore complex he identified an ideal in these types of men these types of abusers where they idealize women to the point of sainthood almost who are so pure and they must have them and they'll do anything for them but they're so insecure in themselves and hate their own feelings that when they do marry these idealized women and they do have sex with these women well then suddenly the mystery is gone these are whore women who will sleep with anyone i say whore women in in quotation marks obviously I, i don't believe this but these are whore women that will sleep with anyone so they must be controlled at all costs even at the cost of their own freedom which is nonsense but i think it's observable in some men even today now i i have to be fair and stress that women can be abusers too but men are more prevalent and this movie um follows a real life male abuser who is a real person a successful person for a time being um and it it's just it does a phenomenal job at highlighting perfectly in my opinion the conflict that rages on in these types of men it's um it's very rare that a movie makes us love the character in the first few minutes of its opening where we we root for them and we want them to succeed but then slowly we realize that the main character isn't the hero uh in fact as Jake's career begins to decline he begins to adopt these um impulsive behaviors self-destructive behaviors like smoking alcoholism binge eating he struggles to make weight for his matches simply because his brother no longer supports him his wife maintains a quiet distance for her own safety and he feels very much alone in the final encounter between Jake LaMotta and Sugar Ray Robinson i think they fought six times um Jake only beating him once um their final encounter was called the St Valentine's Day Massacre 
because of the date it was held on and also because it is regarded as the most brutal fight in the history of boxing. Um, during that fight, towards the end, Jake has a very subtle, I guess you'd call it a breakdown of sorts. He stops fighting, he leans on the ropes and dares Robinson to just go wild on him and hit him, uh, to try and, not, try and knock him down. He keeps his hands down by his side and Robinson hesitates because he knows that in order to knock Jake down, he's going to have to kill him. In my view, this scene was just shot so beautifully horrific. Like, th this was gross and amazing to watch at the same time. You have to watch it to really appreciate it, but the way the crowd suddenly fade out of audibility, the way the camera pans upwards to capture Robinson with his right hand held up high, a spotlight shining behind him, smoke obscuring him. He's like an avenging angel, someone in complete control in his own righteousness. And then meanwhile, when we pan downwards to Jake, who's staring almost in awe at Robinson as he's bleeding from the mouth and looks grotesque, we actually realize that the main character, Jake, is the villain of the story and doesn't deserve our, ad our, our admiration. Um, and after Robinson finishes beating the absolute brains out of Jake in the most violent boxing scene ever filmed, Jake, as he's delirious and his face is unrecognizable, proudly jeers at Ray that he didn't knock him down. He's like, oh, you didn't knock me down, Ray. Yeah, I'm still here. Um, like this pitiful, awful human being is so warped in his own toxic male ideologies that ruined his interpersonal relationships, number one. Let's get that out of the way. Ruined the relationship with his brother, ruined the relationship with his wife. His kids are terrified of him. But he's so warped that he feels pride at having been beaten almost to death and is still standing. Whether... I, I still have this question. This, this is the only thing I can't answer about the movie. Whether he was trying to prove himself to be a strong, tough guy or punishing himself for being an animalistic ass, that's all kind of ambiguous. I don't know. That's been left totally up to us for us to decipher. I'd like to hope it's the latter, that he, he just wanted to atone for what he did. But at the same time, if he's jeering at Robinson saying, Ah, you didn't beat me. You didn't knock me down. It, you know, that's... I don't think that's much of a redemption arc. <laughs> the final parts of the movie is where the acting from De Niro really just blew me away. The movie skips years ahead after the fight. Actually, De Niro put on 30 pounds, which is about 15 kilograms, to play an older, unhealthy, obese Jake LaMotta, which was just fantastic because he looks... I, when I saw the movie, I thought, well, who's this new actor? <laughs> I didn't recognize it was the same guy. But we see that at the end, <clears throat> excuse me, Jake is almost left at rack and ruin. He does stand-up comedy in seedy nightclubs and striptease bars just to make ends meet. His wife has divorced him. He doesn't see his kids. His brother he hasn't seen in 30 years. He gets more and more self-destructive. He does drugs. He meets a girl in a nightclub. He sleeps with her. And then the next day gets arrested because she was 14. 
<laughs> like it wasn't even one of those cases where it was unclear if she was underage like it, it was very obvious that she was underage so again look i i can't support that at all that was definitely a low point in his life he goes to jail and just melts away in this tiny jail cell banging the walls with his head his fists screaming about how he messed it all up he messed his life up he cries for forgiveness he tries to reassure himself that he's a good person and when he gets out he tries to repair the relationship with his brother who doesn't want anything to do with him and the ending scene which was a five or six minute one-shot take of Lamata in his dressing room getting ready to tell bad jokes. He, uh, he recites a quote from another amazing movie called On the Waterfront. Um, I might actually analyze that later on. We shall see. Okay, in short, he's quoting a boxer from another movie who had a chance to become a successful fighter, a brilliant person but who was manipulated by others into committing crimes. You know, the quote is, um, I could have been somebody, I could have been a contender. You know, that was a piece of the quote where the main character blames others. But in Jake's context, as he's speaking to himself in a mirror, we actually see that he blames himself. You know, he could have been a contender to be a great fighter, a great husband, a great father, but his own mental issues prevented him from being any of those things. He was self-sabotaging himself all the time and he couldn't even help it. Um, the movie ends with himself psyching, psyching himself up, punching the air, dancing around like he used to, and he exits the stationary frame. And that, that, that was Raging Bull. So that was Raging Bull. Um, there, now, I, I want to give a bit more context cause, to the movie because seeing as this was a real person, we actually know in the end what happened to Jake. And the truth of the matter is, is that um, he, he did get better. There's very few cases, I feel, where these types of toxic people eventually come to understand that they're the problem and that they're to blame and that they're responsible for their own actions. And we see that in real life, Jake LaMotta did atone for what he did. He did repair his relationship with his brother, and I think they actually ran a bar together or a nightclub or something out in Vegas. I can't really remember. But they did repair things, and he did find forgiveness from his wife, Vicky, and he did input some parenting in, into his children, maybe a little bit too late, but that's up to them. And funnily enough he wanted to play himself in the movie he was about 60 i think when the movie was coming out mid 60s and he asked martin scorsese he's like oh well maybe i can play myself because the movie's about me why can't i play myself but martin was like yeah nah we'll we'll get robert de niro <laughs> to play you um but it was a very tragic story um full of violence full of hardship and I think nowadays we would diagnose Jake today as being somebody with a severe, severe case of borderline personality disorder who has um, a lot of self-destructive behaviors, very impulsive behaviors, you know, the alcoholism, the smoking, the binge eating, the spending, um, and then of course the extreme 
violent, vi like um, visceral, emotional reactions he has when he feels that his social uh, circles are coming under threat. Like when people are going to abandon him, he reacts in very violent, emotional, angry ways. Um, so I think nowadays he would have had a bit more of a chance, but back then that was probably quite common. We actually see in a few scenes that his brother um, behaves in similar ways towards his own wife. Not, not as extreme, but certainly with the same heavy-handedness, coldness, the same controlling attitude. Um, and they probably learned that from their fathers, who learned it from their father's fathers, and so on. So it was nice that eventually, even in his old age, that Jake was able to atone for that and own up to that and divulge a lot of information to Martin Scorsese and to Robert De Niro that would have been very sensitive and very private and probably very humiliating. Like the scene in the jail cell, only Jake LaMotta would have known how to get that across. So it was good that he owned up to it and took responsibility. And I think if you're going to take anything away from this movie, it should be that there's always room for redemption. There is always room to do better and to heal, even when it seems like it's impossible. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. And just out of interest, despite their numerous violent fights and despite taking as much damage as he did to the brain, Jake LaMotta actually outlived Sugar Ray Robinson by about 30 years. Um, Jake LaMotta died in 2017, I think, at the age of 95, which was a very healthy age considering he got more hits to the head in one round than I think most fighters nowadays would get in a whole fight. But that's another, that's another story. And the whole cinematography, the music score, the acting, everything about this movie was perfect. Everything complemented itself beautifully. It all worked together in a remarkable way. And as a man, I feel that it's very important to all men to watch this movie, just to, to see an alternative that um, there are some very nasty characters out there and there is hope for these characters. I, you know, the world isn't black and white, even though the movie was shot on black and white, the world isn't black and white. And if Jake LaMotta, who was a horrible, horrible person, could redeem himself, then why can't certain men of today do the exact same? Anyway, that's just a little bit of introspective. See, you wouldn't get this on other podcasts. <laughs> um, I'm going to finish up now by basically saying, go watch the movie. You don't have to, but I thought it was amazing. Um, and thank you for making it this far towards the end. Well, look at you. You got all the way to the end. Good for you. Um, if you have any feedback, if you have anything you'd like to add, any movies you'd, you'd um, like me to react to next, uh, not react to, this isn't a fucking YouTube channel. If you'd, if you'd like me to discuss a movie that maybe you've seen or that you'd like to see but don't have the time, let me know in the DMs of Instagram. And thank you so much for listening. I'll be back hopefully next Saturday, depending on how things go. 
Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.